0: someone were to walk through your house right now, so you're sitting here, somebody's walking through your house, what would they think about you where you live right now? What would they learn about you by just kind of looking around? I don't know if you've ever had the uh, opportunity to walk through someone's house that you don't know, not in in a creepy illegal (laughs) stalking kind of a way. Um, I remember when we were House shopping, a number of years ago, we we're looking at different houses, and some of the houses you look at are empty, some are uh, staged, others are clearly being lived in, and you walk in and you know that this is, you know, somebody has just been there, and in, as you're looking around, you consider, who lives here? Why did they set the house up this way? What, where did they get that little knickknack, and why did they leave it out? Um, why so many pictures of themselves, or just whatever it is you can walk through. And you kind of picture, you walk through somebody's home, and you kind of picture, who is this, and what are they like? What are their priorities? And then, um, and then at the time, we had our home was for sale at the same time, and I thought, oh, what is somebody thinking about when they walk through my space? And do they, do they know that I did the floor there, and that I fixed that? And then, you know, what could they learn about me? So consider this. I think about looking about looking at somebody's home and what you might learn. God has a house. Uh, we, here, we are God's house, where God lives by his spirit. And in the reality of the fact that we are God's house, there's two things that become immediately evident. One is that you have something amazing for yourself. The very presence of God, the God of the universe, dwells within his people. God's very presence and his power is with us. God is not distant, but he's very close, and he's very continual in his presence with us. His home is right here. And therefore, wherever you go in this world, however chaotic and alone you feel you are never alone, God dwells with you. The second thing that becomes immediately evident is that you now have something for others. That our community, the way that we live with God in and amongst us, displays to the world who God is. So when the world looks at us, when they look at God's house as they walk through and they see our lives, what do they see of God? What do they learn about the God who lives in and amongst us? Do our lives together show who God is? And does that make sense to our world or not? We we live in a, a place of a great misunderstanding about what we are as, as a spiritual family and, and what it means to be part of God's people in this way. So I want to consider this topic of God's house today, and how I want to tackle it is this. Uh, God has revealed himself to his people throughout the history of, of, of human time, and he's revealed himself in different ways, and he's lived among his people in various ways, and God has been very intentional about how he has lived among his people and how he has asked them and asked us to live with him present in, in our lives. So I want to take a look at some of the different ways God has done that, particularly uh, looking at the old, in the Old Testament at the tabernacle, which is a dwelling that God commanded Moses and the people to build and where he would be known, where his presence would be known. It was like a house. Sort of a portable house, a tent God dwelled. I want to look at that a little bit uh, more deeply and ask, you know, what is it, what do we notice about the God who lives there, the way things are arranged and the way that, as we walk through his house? And then also, how, how might we understand God as we think about how we're arranged and how we are organized together as his people? So let's, let's pray as we approach this together. Father God, you are good. The fact that we're even having a conversation, that we are considering the fact that you dwell in and among us, it's amazing, Lord, and we praise you for it. But because you have given us this great gift of your presence, Lord, we just pray that your spirit would be very active as we consider your word, as we consider who you are and what you are doing in and through us as a community, Lord. So we just, we just pray that you would do as you will during this time. It's yours, and we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So when, I, when we talk about where God lives, you can also use the word temple. Where a deity lives, that place is known as a temple. That's in, in the Christian faith, in the Old Testament, and New Testament, um, using that language. And, and again, this is just a... In the ancient world, uh, more commonly, that a deity lives in a temple. Now, God created the world, and it was, the Garden of Eden was a very beautiful place. It was like a temple. It was a house where God's presence was known. He made everything there, and he made it good for people to enjoy each other and the world they lived in, but mostly to enjoy him and his presence. And it was, that was God's home with his people, and it was perfect, paradise. But people rebel. People sinned. People went their own way against God's way. And that sin kills us spiritually and it pollutes us. And a perfect and holy God cannot live freely among polluted and sinful people. So the people were pushed out of that perfect home. They, they were banished from the garden and it could no longer be there. And so there, there's a distance between people and God. But God right from that moment, starts unfolding his saving work in the world to to bring his children back home to him, to forgive them of their sin, in spite of their sin, to to draw them home. And, And God is revealing his saving work, and he's present with his people in different ways moving forward. So fast forward to the time of the Exodus. This is a time when God's people were in slavery in Egypt, and God called a leader named Moses to, uh, to lead the people as God led them out of slavery uh, into a new land. And God commanded them to build this tabernacle, this tent, a house for him. And, and scripture says in Exodus 25:8, this one's on the screen for you. It says, they Then have them make a sanctuary for me, God says, and I will dwell among them. And the whole point of this. Dwelling that God was asking them to build, it, it reflected who God was, and it reflected his his heavenly home. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 5 describes it like this. It says, They serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and a shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle. See to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. God said, Look, I want to give you a visible, tangible way to understand how I live, even though God doesn't need a tent to live in that people make. But God wants to be visibly presence. present. It's the same idea as um, is when you're driving and you're going down the highway and there's speed limit signs. The written law is there. And you, you just keep going as fast as you want until you see a cruiser and you tap the brakes. It doesn't matter how Faster, slower, you're going. People see the cruiser, they tap the brakes, and everybody slows down, because it's not just a written thing on a sign. There's actually a visible presence, a living presence that can light up. And <laughs> God gave his people written law. They had the written law to obey him and follow him perfectly, but they needed a visible presence that actually lit up, um, to, to know that he was present with his people, that God is with his people, uh, so, they built this tabernacle. We'll take a closer look at that in a minute. Fast forward, they used that for um, a long time into the time of the kings. of God's people, the nation of Israel, had King, king David, uh, was the king of Israel, and he, they were doing well as a nation. And he said this in 2 Samuel chapter 7. He says, uh, This is David speaking to Nathan the prophet. He says, Here I am living in a palace of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent said, look, I've got this great palace, got nice paneling, and God lives in this pretty, at this point, pretty old tent. Why, why is this? I'm going I'm to build a really nice house, a proper temple for God. And this is what God said. Really? I'm paraphrasing. Really? You're going to build me a fancy house? I, I, you, David, let me tell you, this, and he's speaking through the prophet. He said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to build your house. I'm going to build your family. I'm going to build kings that are going to descend from you. And one king in particular, who's going to be an eternal king and the throne will last forever. That's what I'm going to build for you, David. You don't need to build me any, any house. But eventually, David's son, King Solomon, he actually did fulfill his father's dream to build a proper temple. So this temporary tent was uh, decommissioned and retired, and they built the built building. But again, it wasn't necessary for people to do this, but God allowed it so that people could understand his presence. In Acts chapter 7, reflecting back on that time, says, uh, Acts 7:47. it was Solomon who built the house of, for him, for God. However, the Most High does not live in houses made by men, as the prophet says, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all things? And even Solomon, after he finished this, the work of building this temple for God and everything was placed and everything had been dedicated, he, he said in 1 Kings chapter 8, he says, But will God really dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heavens cannot contain you. How much less this temple I have built. And Solomon was wise. He knew that this temple, as beautiful as it was, was, was just, you know, that God didn't need that. But God, but God, his desire was to be present in a way that his people could see and experience. So that temple was used for about four centuries. God's people rebelled against him and, and it was destroyed by the Babylonians. It was later rebuilt So the people were exiled, they came back. I'm skipping a lot of history here. The temple was rebuilt and uh, sometimes called Ezekiel's Temple or the second temple. And then later rebuilt by Herod the Great, so we sometimes call that Herod's Temple. But that one was completely destroyed in 70 AD, right after the time of Jesus. Now when Jesus came on the scene, he started talking about the temple, but he was talking about himself. So he's referring to himself as the temple. So now God is present on earth, not in a house, but in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, God with us, Emmanuel. And then, so fast forward even more, at the end of time, there's no need in in God's heaven, when, when there's a, in the new Jerusalem, in the new heavens and the new earth, where God has completed all his saving work, there's no need for a temple because God is just there. From Revelation chapter 21, it says there um, it was, there was no, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb, that's Jesus, are its temple. So you have the Father and, and God the Son and they're just present and with people for all time. There's no need for any house or room. But in between the time when Jesus is here on earth now and when Jesus will be in the new heavens and the new earth, that's, that's right now. That's the time we live in. Where's God's house right now? Because there's no temple. We are the temple. As it says here in Ephesians 2, 22. In him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. I want to take a look. If you walk through God's house, what do you notice about God, who he is, and and what he's like. So I want to back up. So we're going to come back to that image. We are the temple. But I want to take a little bit more detail, look, walk through the ancient temple, the tabernacle. And I'm going to show you a picture. This is, these are some in, uh, pictures I got off the internet years ago when I was teaching on this topic. And I don't even have the source. I don't even know who to credit for these. But uh, it's sort of, And they look kind of like video game uh, pictures. But just, if they're not helpful, just look here. But otherwise, <laughs> if this isn't helpful, look up there. Okay. So that's kind of an image of the, you know, there's Israel, everybody's in their tent, and in the center is a big tent where God lives, and it's enclosed with a fence around it. So go to the next slide. The first thing you notice, you enter into the outer court, and it's a big open space. And God fashioned his house to look like a house in the ancient Near East. So everything that you see in God's house reflects a house at the time. So for people who lived in the ancient world, it would make perfect sense how God laid out his house. It, it doesn't make as much sense to us, although starting with an outer court, you think about a yard that's fenced in. It's a place where people can gather, and it's a place where you can enter someone's home kind of casually and, and be safe, and there's a fence. So there was a wooden structure, and there was curtain, as God commanded them um, to... It's a place where you can gather and meet. So next slide. As you come in, so you're, you're turning around now, so you're facing in, and the first thing you see is this big bronze... Thing and next slide, it's, it's it's a bronze altar. It's a place where sacrifices were offered. Essentially, if you think about an ancient home, if there was an outer court, there was often a grill of fire for cooking outside the house. And at God's house, it's the same thing. There was this altar. And on this altar, there was all different sacrifices could be offered. There was burnt offerings where you just totally make a gift completely to God. There were peace offerings and free will offerings and fellowship offerings just for blessings in your life, or unexpected blessings and you would give God a gift back for that and the, it would be burnt there on the altar. There were sin and guilt offerings. These are uh, offerings that were given in sorrow or repentance for wrongdoing. The whole sacrificial system, very complex, but the point is this. Seeing it in this way, it reminded people of the cost of sin. That sin is very costly, but there is hope of forgiveness and a right relationship with God. And through these repeated sacrifices, people could receive forgiveness and experience that. So, uh, so the next thing. So you go past that, and you're walking in, and you see this big basin full of water. And again, in an ancient home, that would be a great sign of hospitality that this is, these are people who lived in dusty places and dirty places, and didn't get to clean very often. So if you were to put out a bowl of of water, people could wash and become clean. And it was gracious hospitality. In God's house, the priests would wash ceremonially, and they would walk before and after the sacrifices, and before entering this inner structure, there's another tent that they're going to walk into. And not just so that they would be clean, but Exodus 20, 30, They had to wash this way so they would not die. What well, God is showing, that you need to be clean to be in his house. That it's a very welcoming place, and it, it's, it's a place where he can be known and experienced, but you, you need to be clean. And it's a very serious thing. Again, not just cleaning your body or cleaning your clothes, but cleaning your conscience. That God wants us to have a clear and forgiven heart and mind. So then we enter into this tent. So this next slide. So we're going to go through this kind of a fancy curtain, and we come into a place. Next slide. We see three things. We see a lampstand on the right. We see a table with bread on it, and then there's another altar in there. First, the next slide is this um, lampstand. It's made of pure gold, and the priest uh, next. There you go, the lampstand. It's pure gold, and the priests keep it filled with oil. It's always lit. Think about this. God's house, the lights are always on. Someone's always home. Day and night, God says, I am here. And they kept that lit. Uh, on the, the next thing you would see as you turn, it would be this a, a smaller altar where incense would be burned. Now, incense, in the ancient world, people would burn incense in their homes to cover up odors. There's people who didn't bathe well, animal odors, uh, cooking odors, different odors. But as smoke and incense rises, it's a great symbol in, in the Bible of prayer, that our prayers are like smoke that rises up to the Lord. It reminds us in God's house that we can communicate with God, that, that it's a place where we can speak to God, that God is not so distant, but God hears us. The next thing you see, next slide, is, is the, what's called the table of presence. That's a table where God said to keep fresh bread. Fresh baked bread. Fresh baked bread smells so good. I live on High Street, and my backyard is uh, Perfecto's Cafe. <laughs> and I live on High Street, and Main Street's low. So really, if you look out my backyard, you can see the exhaust fans on the roof of Perfecto's, which means I get to smell... Baking bread all the time. And bagels and muffins and cinnamon buns. And it is a, just a precious, precious smell. And those types of calories are not the best ones to eat, but the smell of the baking bread is just wonderful. Thanks be to God that the prevailing breeze is away from my house. Which means I actually get the smell of steak wafting over from Palmer's more more frequently than the, uh, the cinnamon buns. But they're both wonderful in their own way. Uh, what's my point? My point is, the baking, in God's house, there's a the smell of bread and food. In God's house is a place where you f- eat. And, and especially in the ancient world, if you ate a meal with somebody, it was just a wonderful fellowship. You wouldn't just have a stranger come in and eat in your house. That's... It was friendship and closeness that the God of the universe desires to eat fresh food and good food with His people. That's how close of a relationship that God wants with His people. So it reminds us of God's fresh daily presence. So then, uh, so you're we're in the inner. Intercha- so now you go into the next inner chamber. This is in an ancient house. This would be the equivalent of say a bedroom. Okay, so you have your outer court, you go in, you have a place where you can eat, and then there's another chamber, and that's where you would sleep. This is the place of greatest intimacy. You can have your friends at your table, but only a loving partner in your bed, in your bedroom. So this is a place of the greatest intimacy. Only once per year, and only one person could go in and experience God's presence. And you'll notice uh, in there is this box with this statue on top, these two statues on top. The box is the Ark, of the Ark of the Covenant, Ark of the Testimony. And it was covered in pure gold, and on top are two cherubs. Now, cherubs are not just cute, fat, little, naked angels. Uh, cherubs are the most, uh, perhaps the most powerful creatures in the universe, and the most powerful forces in the universe are humbled and bow down and cover with their wings in the presence of God they're on top of this box. And inside this box are three things. One is manna, the, the bread that God had provided for his people, to remind his people that they are to trust him to provide for their needs. The second thing in the box was Aaron's staff, which miraculously budded as a sign that Aaron's family was to lead the people in worship. That as God's people, we are to be people who worship God. In, the, in there is, was also the tablets, the Ten Commandments, that it's a reminder to obey God to trust God, to worship him, to obey him. And that's, that's at the very center of where God's presence was experienced by his people in his house. And, if, and you can skip away from that for now. Everything from the beginning in the courtyard, ending with the, that Ark of the Covenant, that box, everything in between was an invitation to draw near to God. You can see that. It's a very welcoming, lights on, the food is on, kind of a home in God's presence. And you get that When you walk through God's house, you also get the feeling that I don't belong here. Or I better be very careful how I enter here. And they did have to be very careful that it's a very welcoming place, but it's a place that requires holiness on my part. And and here today, Ephesians 2.22, you are now God's dwelling place. You are the temple being built together to be the place where God lives by his spirit. Again, look at verse... I'm on the back of your bulletin at this point. Uh, verse 20. It's uh, The foundation of this building is the apostles and the prophets. That's the teaching. That's our New Testament. That's the Bible. You know, Once a foundation is laid, it can't be moved. Houses can be moved. Buildings can be moved, but not the foundation. The Free Christian Church, it's not this building, but the one we were in uh, before this one, 110 years ago, uh, was... It, they moved it, They moved the whole church. Big white church. They just moved it onto Railroad Street from wherever it was before. They could just do that. But you can't move the foundation. And it's amazing. Anyway, that's kind of part of our history. I tried to move a shed like that once where I took it off its foundation and tried to move it. It fell over. Um, kind of crooked. Um, we always just remember the foundation of this church is not the pastor. It's not the programs. It's not the music. It's the word of God. And the cornerstone of that foundation, verse 20, is Jesus Christ himself. So he's part of the foundation and part of the building at the same time. He keeps it straight and strong. And in this house, there isn't all these repeated sacrifices that need to be made. Jesus, as the cornerstone, was the sacrifice. He was sacrificed on the cross in our place for all of our sin and for all of our all the pollution of sin in our lives, Jesus takes that on once for all. Jesus is the sacrifice and the cornerstone, so we don't have to repeat all these sacrifices in in God's house today. We lean on Him and receive by faith what He accomplished. And this is the dwelling place of God where He lives by His Spirit. We are the building. Now, here, the language... You know, you are being built together to become that dwelling place where God lives by His Spirit. It's, a, it's plural, you plural. In other places, Scripture teaches that you, your body, is a temple of God's Spirit. But it's saying you collectively, you all, you guys, are God's temple where God lives. So what does that mean? What do we do with this? As people walk through our life together, our church, our community, what do they See of God. And we hold this same tension that was held in the ancient house, where there's the tension of, um, you know, being a very welcoming place, but also a place where holiness is required, where you need to be right. That sense of holiness, we remember Jesus paid it all. He was the ultimate sacrifice. God can indeed live in and among us. We can be His home. And as His presence is doing His cleaning and cleansing work and forgiving work and sanctifying is kind of the, the church word we use for it. But as God is sanctifying and cleansing us, we are being made more like Jesus and becoming more and more uh, a people who desire to fight against sin and injustice and, and to act in love and joy and peace and patience and all the fruit of God's Spirit producing in us. So we ha- we, and we can pursue that with our whole hearts. But there's also this arms wide open, that that, that this that this home that God's home and God's presence is 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 open for for everyone. That God is that God's still those you know in the ark of the covenant. You know, I, I'm, I'm to trust Him, I am to uh, worship Him, I am to uh, the obey Him. The law was in there that. We can live those lives that we still can obey. We can still worship him as we gather here on Sundays and praise his name. We experience his spirit as we worship. But also as we scatter wherever God calls us this week, that he's still with you there and you can do everything that you do to his glory. And here's the most beautiful thing. It's not just for you. Everywhere you go, then, therefore, you are bringing God's very presence with you, to those places. And the most, the most amazing thing about this whole thing is that God is present with his people. That God dwells in and among his people. And now when you go, God is in and among you, and you, now, one of the most beautiful ministries we can do is just what I call the ministry of presence. That we're just with people. We can, all these things, I mean, there's all kinds of projects, and cooking, and uh, housing, and fixing, and, and doing all kinds of things. These are all really great things. But one of the greatest gifts we have for the world is just to be present with people, people who are hurting, just to sit and listen. Because as you sit there, God is with you. God is with that person who you are sitting with because God dwells in you. People who are grieving, you can sit with them. People who are lost, you can listen and hear and speak of God's presence and how they can be found by him. We, we could just be with people because God is just being with us. What a great gift we have. May we, as God's house, worship him, obey him, trust him. May we also just love and be present with the world around us. In his name, amen.